Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge Podcast. My name is Bilal and today it's just myself and Kwaku, uh, Patrick and Tom, wherever you might be. I hope that you're doing well in the world. But we've got a very <laughs> special guest who's joined us. He's going to introduce themselves in just a minute. But as ever, why don't we start by talking to each other. Kwaku, how are you doing this morning? I am I'm well, bro, as, as well as I can be. It's weird, like, I think I started getting my allergies... A lot earlier than usual this this year, so my nose has just been doing absolute most of stripping. <laughs> and, um, yeah, my just my general my general state of being is is not at its optimum right now, I should say. But um, besides that, yeah, is 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 always grateful for like uh, these Sunday mornings where we can touch base and connect and obviously speak to amazing new people. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 good, man. I'm blessed. How are you yourself, bro? How you doing? Yeah, um, I was just saying to you just before we started, I am so tired. Um, for yeah. anyone who doesn't have children, <laughs> I wish that I'm. It's like so. It's only been six weeks, right? And I'm already so tired, man. <laughs> what you don't recommend? Oh, don't, I, don't I, recommend. Highly, I highly recommend. I highly <laughs> recommend. But if you want to sleep and you're a person who loves and needs their sleep, then maybe it's not for you, man. But <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm good. Similar to you, I think it's a change in weather. Like this weather has been weird, especially mm. this week. Like it's been freezing and I was sitting there watching the snow for a little bit. So I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, but looking forward to the end of lockdown. Well, a little kind of the end of lockdown tomorrow. Yeah. Might go Primark, get a couple of t-shirts and that. Celebrate, splash out right now. That's it, man. Spend <laughs> £2 buy a t-shirt. That's, that's my plan. It's so weird, man. Like, because obviously, because we've had so many occasions where we thought, okay, cool lockdown's easing up like things are going back to normal i haven't got there yet where i'm really fully appreciated that okay things you know i can go out and get back to normal i'm still very cautious about how mm. i manage my expectations mm. so it's just like mm, okay cool that like, we'll see how it goes yeah I'm, I'm a little bit like that like i'm not making I literally haven't made any plans for anything, even though people are like, oh, yeah, it'd be good to see you. I'm like, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's as far as the conversation's gone. Like, I've made uh, no plans to do nothing, man. But uh, yeah, it's going to be nice to know there's um quite a nice restaurant around the corner. So I'm looking forward to just going and sitting there, hopefully when nice. it's a bit warmer and eating something. Nice. Nice, but yeah, nice, nice. anyway... Um, really, as I said at the start, really, really delighted this morning to have a very special guest with us, Chine McDonald. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm oh, good, thank you. I'm I'm a bit cold, but but yeah, doing well, doing well. Good, 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 good. I know it is freezing. I've literally got my feet on the radiator and it's like this radiator ain't doing nothing for me this morning, which is a shame. Hopefully when our listeners are listening, they're feeling a bit warmer than we are. But other than cold, um, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do. And also it'd be nice to kind of know what brought you to the book that we're going to talk about in a moment. But what brought you to that moment and writing that? Yeah. So first of all, um, just thank you so much for having me. I am fangirling over here um because i'm i really love what you guys do so um i was um delighted that you would uh, want to talk to me so thank you for having me um i'm chinny mcdonald um my day job is head of public engagement at christian aid with it which is an international development agency um i'm also a trustee of a couple of charities greenbelt festival and christians and media um, my background is kind of journalism and that intersection between 
faith and public life. So I do quite a lot of uh, broadcasting on the side, so BBC Broadcasting and things like Thought for the Day on the Today programme on Radio 4 um, and that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm also, I feel your pain with the having children because I'm a mum of a three-year-old boy. Um, so congrats it's, 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 it's a bit patronizing but it does get easier like the, the, first, <laughs> the first few weeks you're like what on earth have we done yeah why have I done this <laughs> wow done you this? guys don't make this sound fun at all I'm, <laughs> I'm like obviously I'm not in the situation yet but it, you know the next couple of years who knows you guys are not making this sound fun <laughs> no, wait till they get to three so he sleeps from half seven till like seven now so that's pretty it's pretty wow good. That's Imagine. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've also um, just written a book which is coming out um, in May called God is Not a White Man and Other Revelations. So, um, yeah, can you just talk about that? I love that. That's such a nice, powerful intro as well. Like so many things that you've done, so many things that you are still doing, which is amazing. So thank you, first of all, for joining us. And um, just a nice place to start, really, is we went to the same university. Yes. We went we to Cambridge. We yeah. did. And tell us a little bit, um, nice place to start, about your experiences there. When you went, what did you study? What was it like? So I went, uh, I was there 2002 to 2005. Um, I, I was at St. Catherine's College uh, and I studied theology and religious studies. So um, the queen of the arts, uh, they I don't know whether they still call it that, but um, but yeah, theology, which is, I'm a big fan of theology, obviously, that's kind of what I've dedicated my life to, um, but I guess my journey to Cambridge was an interesting one, um, in that, obviously, I, I grew up in southeast London, um, and black, I was born in Nigeria, and moved to the UK when I was four, um, and it's like a typical immigrant parents dream isn't it that you go you go to Cambridge mm-hmm. or Oxford or uh, any other good university um and my parents were quite keen from when I was very young that that was that was where I was heading um but I was quite reluctant um when I was younger because it felt like it felt like quite an arrogant thing to aspire to as a young um as a young person um especially if your friends weren't also aspiring to that same thing um so um so there was that but also I think for me I feel like my education experience was um I feel like I was just really lucky I don't know what it was but I had um teachers um who really believed in me who wanted me to um, to push for um, the best that I could, even though I didn't necessarily believe that. Um, and I, even though I grew up in quite, you know, quite white areas. Um, so I went to a grammar school in Kent, lived in Hertfordshire for a bit, and I was kind of one of the only kind of black people um, in my year. And they still thought that I was capable of getting into um, Oxbridge. So... Yeah, so that was my kind of journey to there. Yeah. yeah, really kind of similar, I guess. Well, I'm speaking for you, Kwaku, but quite similar for both of us, right? Yeah, yeah, literally, because, I mean, other than, I guess, well, yeah, from South East London as well, went to a grammar school, went to Cambridge, 
similarly uh parents very um yeah i mean like you said it's the kind of typical immigrant story in a lot of respects so yeah i can completely relate to to a lot of a lot of that experience yeah and when you were there because my experience of St. Cats um I don't know Kwaku did you ever come I used to go there for brunch yeah yeah <laughs> that's was, literally all I've got as, to say as soon as you said St. Cats I was like yeah that was the brunch spot that was a brunch Aww. spot man it was like the ACS brunch spot was it Sunday morning we used to go down there I can't even remember was it, now. Was that a, was it was a weekend Saturday yeah, yeah it was one of the yeah. Sundays you used and to go really there. cheap it was like, so cheap really good um, <laughs> especially after a night out or whatever that's like a nice recovery yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ritual. That was the one, really, wasn't it? It was a ritual, yeah. But how so did you find? Brunch wasn't a thing when I was there. Really, <laughs> like, really. Like, I mean, brunch is like a, you know, I obviously we had brunch, but it was like breakfast, and it wasn't like a place that you went to. But also, but we, I guess we were cheap in that we were. Like, <laughs> <laughs> our college was right next to King's College, which is the iconic, you know, the face yeah. of Cambridge University, and ours was kind of next to it, kind of forgotten, a little bit more down to earth, I think. So what was it like for you being at St. Cat's at the time, or being in Cambridge at the time that you were there? Yeah, so I I probably, in many respects, wasn't ready for feeling so black. <laughs> Even though I had been the only black face in a lot of the spaces that I'd been in, I think it was when I arrived at Cambridge where I became quite certain that I couldn't just blend in, that I could never really be seen as British. Um, and interestingly, my cousin, um, who's male, um, was in the same year as me. We we lived in kind of pretty much on the same road um, at home. And then he was at Cambridge at the same time. He was at Christ's. Um, so it was really interesting experiencing seeing his experience of Cambridge as opposed to mine. So I kind of can come back to that later. But I think um, even though I'd grown up as the only black face in certain environments, I think it was maybe in our first, in our matriculation dinner, which is the dinner that you have on the first night um, in, um, in, a ho- in a hall. And you're in this grand hall with paintings of the past masters of the college. And you're thinking like this there's no one here that looks like me and I feel completely out out of place um and because I was I just studied theology which was a small subject you we got to sit on basically the master's table um at the at the top of the hall and so you'd be sat next to you know academics um old white men academics and I remember um like a distinctive memory that I have is, you know, we're starting dinner and then someone, one of them said to me, oh, I bet you're not used to this kind of food at home. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's chicken and potatoes. I've had those before. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, no. Um, and then in my college, um, so we lived in, in college in the first year and the second year we lived in St. Chad's, which is like a out of the college, but we all lived together. I remember someone saying to me, one of the academics saying, oh, I bet it was tricky to find, you know, four other Nigerians to live with in college. And I was like, yeah, it's tricky because there aren't many. But also, you know, that I can, you know, live with other people that aren't Nigerians. Like it was so strange. Um, So I think, yeah, those experiences were weird. And I think I, I was also news editor of Varsity, the university newspaper. And that, I think, was a really interesting place to be in that 
I, I had my kind of proper first experiences of how the other half lived, like the establishment. So like the, the editors um, and the other guys on the newspaper who were my age, obviously, their dads owned newspapers or they were there were um, sirs or all of this stuff. Um, and I remember we did a, I think, a special edition of of Varsity on race. And um, at that point at Cambridge, there were 11 of us who were black um, in the whole year out of 3000. And I remember wow. I had to like <laughs> gather all 11 because obviously I, we all knew each other. Um, and we had we took this picture <laughs> in front of the gates of King's um king's college and it was all about kind of us being locked out of the university and you know access and all that kind of stuff okay um but we we also had this stat which was there were more people with the surname white than there were black people at cambridge wow it's always like great stats so yeah it was there weren't many of us it was um an interesting experience which i'm sure you can relate to it's quite funny hearing you say you know that you knew everyone by name because I was it was it me and you or me and someone after we finished uni we found the stats for the time that we were there and literally were like when we were looking through um the, the breakdown of like black caribbean black african male female we could literally name the people that were the numbers you know? yeah. That, yeah that was yeah. It's very telling um so very similar experiences yeah. it sounds like to... especially when like one was my cousin as well so it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like my cousin and his friends and then yeah and and at that time was there was there an like a African society or black any kind of like more formal social group because at least I know from my experience when I joined so I came in twenty eleven and the ACS um, African Caribbean Society was like a big part of my social group um, coming in and um, you know again we kind of knew everyone within the the community but. I imagine without that formal structure, so it would have been even, yeah, kind of tricky. Was was that present there, or was that like how? Did yeah, you so of, so ACS yeah. was there then, um, and we we had a like we had some social events, but it wouldn't be well. Maybe I wasn't as involved, but it wasn't like a weekly thing. I think we had a ball, um, mm. but I was also what was I secretary of the Cambridge University Nigerian Society or something. Um, which was also, which was mainly postgrads um, mm. uh, rather than undergrads. Um, so there was definitely a sense of community among the black people that were at Cambridge, but I just don't, it just wasn't very large. Um, and I've actually been thinking about what, how different I think my university experience would have been if I was going now. Not because there are necessarily loads more, but I know that the, the numbers have been growing, but because I'm just so much more aware of issues about white supremacy, about decolonizing mm. the curriculum, all this stuff that I look back on my education and think, you know, when I was studying theology, at no point did we ever discuss non-white male philosophers or theologians or um, highlight the fact that, let's say, Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, um, he he's got this quote which um which is uh, a bit depressing but he says um he was talking about when he uh, he met a black man and he said this fellow was quite black from head to foot a clear proof proof that what he said was stupid 
um, and this is a guy that like we learned all wow. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't think about other other perspectives on theology from from non-white male Europeans. The only points at which I saw probably black people um, in textbooks or their perspectives looked at was during um, the study of anthropology of religion, where we'd look at um, tribes in Africa and their um, their kind of ritual or witch doctors or witchcraft or all that kind of stuff. So it was very much looking at black the black experience through the white European lens. And these are things that I would hope that if I was there today, that first of all, that would be different. But if, but if, but if it wasn't different, that those are things that I would question, which I didn't at the time. It's, it's, I'm smiling so much whilst you're saying this, because this is literally the same journey I've been on, because I did theology when I was at Cambridge as well. And honestly, um, over the last few years, I've been looking back and oh, there's so much that I would have questioned or asked about it if I went now and if I was a person that I am today. And I think when I was there, you know, you're so blown away with what's going on and you think this is education and this is the best education in the world. So you're just there going, cool, I'm just going to soak it up. But then didn't go to that next level of questioning and going, hang on, why am I not seeing myself represented in the curriculum or why is it being taught in this way or why am I not reading about stories or perspectives from the rest of the world you know and it's really interesting um with that I wanted let's let's start getting into the book because your book has got such a catchy title um tell us a bit more about the thought behind the book and I'm assuming that to some degree studying theology kind of led to that book in a way yeah so um so the book is called God is not a white man and other revelations um and really, in essence, it's a black British female perspective or exploration or critique of white supremacy, both in kind of religious institutions, um, predominantly the UK church, but also in wider society. And for me, it kind of all started with um, probably the journey of the book starts with Donald Trump and the year 2016 and Brexit. Um, and obviously, you know, I had grown up in spaces where um, I, I was often the, the only black face and I had various kind of revelations, I call them, of basically the fact that whiteness was held up as ideal and superior throughout my life. So in the book, I talk about um, when I was five in primary school in Greenwich and I remember us being asked to draw a self-portrait um, and I drew myself with like yellow, long, straight hair and light blue eyes and pink, rosy cheeks. And um, I remember my friend looked over and was like, that's not you. <laughs> and, um, and I think that was the first moment I thought, oh, yeah, that mm -hmm. that that isn't me. And I feel for some reason I felt ashamed or just felt disappointed. Um, and I think around five is where children start to kind of have that understanding of like the, their, themselves and what they looked like. Um, I was also, um, I think I was nine living in Eltham when Stephen Lawrence was killed um, there. So that was another moment where I was like, okay, so black people are not valued in our society. Um, various points um, at which I, I realized that um, and especially having grown up in churches and mainly white majority churches all my life. But I think the Donald Trump election in particular was a moment for, for me when it was like, it was like I was waking up 
and not recognizing my own family like I was in some way on on the wrong side of things because I'd grown up in evangelical Christianity and 81% of white evangelicals in the US had voted for Trump so they'd voted for this racist misogynist man who was totally the opposite of the kind of person that white evangelicals had been saying we should emulate for like my whole life so I was disappointed surprised shocked um, because I realised that actually what was important, what was more important than, um, I guess, the faith itself was whiteness and masculinity and this idea of this this power or this group that held this power. Um, so the book is really about me kind of retracing my steps kind of theologically and thinking about kind of theological education, understanding of religion and Christianity and this idea of maleness and whiteness um, and and some of it is about so there's one chapter in it which is about the literal depictions of God so this kind of challenging of this idea that God is portrayed as a white man so God um, the, the, the father um, as um, this old guy who kind of looks like Father Christmas um, with a white beard, and then Jesus as a blondy, sandy-haired, blue-eyed man, even though he was from, even though he was a brown Middle Eastern Jew. Um, and so the book is about the literal depictions of God, but there's really only one chapter on that. The rest of the book is really a metaphor. Um, God is not a white man, but also white men are not gods, as in whiteness and masculinity are not the default humanity and the rest of the book kind of explores white supremacy as it relates to black lives matter interracial marriage because my husband is a white man um education my time at cambridge beyonce black feminism and white feminism but also the kind of brutalization of black bodies throughout the centuries so that is that is the book yeah i've skimmed some some of those chapters and when you you know the story that you mentioned about being five right at the beginning of what you were saying there i was smiling along because i remember doing something so similar in primary school because like even the colors there wasn't a color that i couldn't even find a crayon that would match my skin anyway <laughs> yeah. even if i wasn't yeah. trying to draw myself and i remember mm. like someone going that's not what you look like and i was like oh yeah that is literally you know and you don't see yourself represented um in images and mm-hmm. one of the one of the things you know just before I quick I know you want to jump in but this idea of um of white Jesus or you know black Jesus whether it's useful to depict Jesus as something other than the picture that we see elsewhere um and what for you would would be the usefulness of other representations of Christ so for me um I, there was a book that came out a few years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, called The Shack, which is an American book, um, and it was made into a film. And it's about this man who goes through this tragic experience, and then he encounters God in the middle of a shack. And he meets God in in the form of the Trinity, the Trinity, the Trinity so the three, um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, basically. So um, the Holy Spirit is portrayed as an Asian woman. Jesus is portrayed as a Middle Eastern man. Surprise, surprise. 
Um, and then God the Father is portrayed as Octavia a cur- Spencer. Cur- yeah, Octavia Spencer yeah. in the film. So a curvy black woman. And I remember when I read the book um, a few years before the film came out, and um, obviously people were people who had read it before were really careful not to give away spoilers. So when you when you when you read it for the first time, it's like, oh right. Um, so God Papa, who is this black woman. And I remember reading that and having this like really profound um, sense of, I guess, um, it, it's not something that I had ever wanted or thought, I think God should be portrayed as a black woman. But seeing God portrayed as a black woman, mm. I, as in someone who might look a bit like me, I think mm. does something to your sense of self and your sense of identity and your sense of value and worth. And I hadn't, I hadn't really um, recognised what the um, implications and consequences of having seen God as in the most powerful, the best, the most ideal, the most perfect, um, being portrayed as something that you are not and you can never be. Um, so I think there are, I think it is helpful to have other depictions of God and Jesus. And the whole point of Christianity really is this idea that. Um, God becomes one of us but when that one of us is not one of you then that's kind of defeats the whole point point of it so there are lots of examples of other cultures that portray Jesus in certain ways but I think part of my um, problem is that even in places like Nigeria where I'm from where you would expect therefore that Jesus is portrayed as a black man um, in those spaces, in churches, in people's homes, the Jesus that they mm. worship or look at is still that blue-eyed, blonde mm. Jesus. And that is the problem. White supremacy is pervasive. It's not just contained within um, white majority societies. And that's why it's problematic. Yeah, this is, uh, for me, this is such an interesting conversation because this is like everything I'm interested in, just all in in one, what you just said there. And it makes me think, I remember being, you know, I grew up in church and I went to a Baptist church. And when I was younger, I remember going, there was like a prayer meeting or something. And I I just talked to God, you know, I just talked the same way I'm talking to you. I just used the same words. And I remember I was, say, I was talk, praying out loud. And at the time, the youth leader that was there, she was like, oh, but that's not how you talk to God. Like, that's not praying and I remember going what do you mean and I literally had this conversation with her which is surely God understands me when I'm talking to him the same way I'm talking to you you know and then she's like yeah but you're supposed to pray on your knees and supposed to do this and supposed to do that and we just got into this debate and I remember just I, at the time feel like yeah I've schooled her man I've schooled because I told her that you know <laughs> God understands when I'm talking to him like mandem and it, it, says, it says a lot that you know we we have this idea of God as so far removed from or Jesus as so far removed from who we are that it almost becomes unrelatable to people particularly if you're not white and um, because you see this white guy as this someone has nothing to do with who you are and how you speak and that's again who you're bowing down to and praying to and it's, it's interesting but Kwaku sorry I know I've been speaking and you were going to jump in no um I mean initially I think I was going to just say something in relation to my experience um so growing up in, in a christian household but i actually went to um my like i went to a catholic upbringing um but my church was right was was in, like intricately connected to my school so um 
my school was primarily black. It was a predominant. It was in Peckham, predominantly Nigerian, um, and it's funny. Even even with that, there was still, and I think it's, it's something that's prevalent in Catholicism and other denominations as well. But like you have the that, the image of white Jesus and. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to kind of put my head back into my mindset of myself as a kid. And yeah, I guess I did have this this idea of God being this like this old, old white man and never really questioning that until probably my t- early teens. Mm. Um, mm. And that was one of the things that, you know, in a lot of ways, when I started learning about colonialism and, 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 and slavery and things like that, um it, it really did kind of throw me off um from christianity and context i'm 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 muslim so like i reverted in my in my adulthood but like um this is this was definitely like a big topic that that played into my mind mm-hmm. when i was starting to have these kind of doubts and questions and, and what have you so it's interesting to, to just hear like um how other people have reconciled it and there's an element of it as well which is when we think about how christianity was and and other religions in general were brought to um our countries of origin for instance so myself being from Ghanaian background china of course nigerian background um in your introduction you mentioned it was your great grandparents that converted to um, for kind of from like the traditional Igbo um, religion to um, Christianity and it, it makes me wonder like whether it is just like the it's so embedded um, the fact that you have to have some form of personification in religion mm. and when your concepts of God because just the idea of God itself is just so I feel like is 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 hard to conceptualize, like impossible to conceptualize, really. So we have to like have this humanization of it, and who other than you know yourself are you going to um, kind mm. of craft this around? And then when you go and export that to other people, is it just not the a direct kind of I don't know it's, it's quite it's quite challenging so, like is it just not expected that that superior white superiority is going to be embedded within how you 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 relate to God or relate to your spirituality and how you embrace that if it's coming from you from a a a, a source that's from outside of your own culture um and how for me is like how do you reconcile that that's a challenge that I still kind of deal with in, in all elements of like religion like how do you reconcile um the source and the way in which it was introduced to you and the kind of mm. the deeper like meanings and what the value really meant to get from spirituality spirituality in your religion and the idea of okay am I Am I um, forsaking my traditional ancestral mm. belief system in order to adopt this mm-hmm. new thing? Like, do you know what I mean? There's there's so many things that just come to mind. And mm. 
yeah it's, it's, it's a challenge yeah. it's, it's quite a challenging thing there are just like um, so many thoughts. <laughs> got, yeah, like, sorry, just like it all came in one in one go. But like, yeah, I don't know how like your experience has been with with with, with some of those thoughts, like how they come up in your life. Yeah, because in, in some ways, I think I write this in the book that um, Islam has it right in that there are no depictions of God or Allah, so it's almost kind of easier mm. in that respect, and you don't therefore fall into the trap um, of um, the cultural. Um, appropriation of Christ, um, depending on which cultural context you're in. Um, but I think one of the one of the problems I have fundamentally about this and this idea that, well, obviously Nigerian Christians are going to think of um, Jesus and God as white because it's come to us from white people. Um, so in the book, I talk about. My great grandparents, my great grandfather was a canon ordained in the Church of England in 1940. And um, obviously we're, we're very we're very proud of that kind of heritage, that kind of Anglican heritage. But I remember at one point, like I'd heard all these stories about my great grandfather. I never met him um, all my life. And then uh, they used to my parents used to tell me that when Nigerian Christian women in the village that my grandfather and great grandmother were in, sorry, great great grandfather in, um, they would, before they were getting married, they would come and stay with my great grandmother to learn what it meant to be a good Christian wife. But what it meant to be a good Christian wife or what they would teach them was how to bake cakes, how to drink tea <laughs> out of China, um, use doilies, all those kinds of things. Mm. So, right, my Christian faith, therefore, and my kind of Christian identity or family's Christian identity is wrapped up with this idea of Englishness, mm. which I think that my, my fundamental problem is Christianity is not English. God mm. is not a white man. Christianity was founded um, in the Middle East um, and Jesus was not white. Um, so the fact that we today, like our automatic um, thing is to think, Christianity is the white man's religion is because of white supremacy that has <laughs> existed over centuries and just got worse and worse and worse. Um, well, yeah, in some ways it's better, but um, we're living with that legacy of that confusion about what Christianity actually is. And I think I, I talk in the book about, um, in talking to the church and church leaders, they need to recognise that this is going to become an increasing problem if they want people or young people to stay in the church because young people aren't going to be okay with um, a colonised version mm. of religion or a place that excludes um, black people. Um, and I talk about how actually a lot of black women or black millennials who grew up in church are increasingly turning away from the church because they're not going to stand for patriarchy and they're not going to stand for white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And they're increasingly turning towards um, African indigenous religions in which mm -hmm. um, female deities are worshipped and emulated. And this idea of the black female being divine is something mm -hmm. that is increasingly attractive. So um, the more and more you, um, we continue to elevate this kind of white Jesus or white God, the more and more we're going to exclude black people and black mm. women from the church.
Yeah, and I've got a couple of friends of mine who we often talk about, you know, because we've all sort of left different churches and like struggling to find a church to go to if we did want to go to one. But we always talk about how Christianity is essentially social justice at the heart of it, right, at the core. But that seems to be the bit that's forgotten, particularly when you talk about how that gets co-opted and used by white evangelicals who then vote for Trump. And then we see the worst depictions of white masculinity in power but also being used to sort of say well this is a religion for me right um interesting sort of link between what we're talking about here about colonialism and also international development work and i know that christian aid is an international development aid organization and you know in some of my work particularly with larger charities one of the things that some of the international development organizations struggle with is this idea of whiteness and colonialism at the heart and at the root of that just sort of curious as to how christian aid and in your work or experience with them deals with that question and in relation to what we're talking about here about depictions of god of christ um in some of the work that's going on yeah so it is definitely something that all international development agencies talk about constantly um so yeah, decolonizing development um, and that kind of white supremacy that is kind of inherent in the notion of development. This idea that um, we as British people help help other people in developing countries. Um, so it's definitely something that we talk about quite a lot. But the reason actually that I work for Christian Aid as opposed to um, some other development agencies, and um, particularly faith-based ones, is um, we are far, far, far from perfect. And we actually, we released a, um, a report in October, which showed that we'd done our own internal kind of report with an external agency, which found that there is white supremacy that exists in our organization. And here are the steps that we're going to take to challenge it. Um, but there were signs at Christian Aid that, that I think show that we are at least doing something to tackle it so we have a black woman ceo um for example that's the only black woman ceo of an international development agency in the uk we have a strong history we've existed for 75 years of a strong history of engaging in some of those kind of social justice movements we worked with martin luther king in the 60s steve biko in the um, anti-apartheid movement um but we are still a development agency and what we talk about quite a lot is um stuff that i guess kayenda andrews in his um the new age of empire talks about and there's been quite a lot written about in the recent years the whole global economic system is broken and it exists um to per perpetuate white supremacy um so, you know, if we really wanted the world to be equal, obviously it's not just going to be about handing out um, food packages in humanitarian disasters or um, uh, helping communities um, to think like we want them to think and um, operate in the ways that we want them to operate. Um, there is, it's not just about us, there's like, there's, there's, global political structures that we need to work to change. So that's why Christian Aid works a lot on kind of um, uh, 
kind of World Bank or kind of the the political global political um, agenda because we recognise that that's where things need to change if things are actually going to change. Um, but the, yeah, the whole notion of development is is steeped in white supremacy and especially when you then are in a faith based or a Christian development agency where some of that um, ideas, some of the ideas of Christian missionaries um, who came from the UK to countries in the global south, what we call global south now, um, to um, develop them, teach them how to read, how to wear clothes, um, how to, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so all of that stuff is mixed up in it and it makes it really complicated. Um, but we're trying to ask ourselves the difficult questions, um, which is not easy to do because it's almost like you have to completely rethink the whole thing and the whole way that it operates, which is not easy. I'm lost or something there. Yeah, I think it's such a large challenge because it's so, what's the word when it's like goes through everything, right? It's, it's like That's the one. It's so pervasive that it's literally built into what all of these aid development organisations do. The entire work started out of something that's hard to remove it from that. I'm just, just thinking, you know, what does good look like then for you or what, what would that look like in an ideal world? So I think um, development speak is localization. Um, so on the kind of on the ground level, I guess um, it is communities in the countries that we work in taking ownership um, for how they want to run things. They know best what their communities need, and they don't need necessarily for white people to come alongside them or move into their areas and then run things for them as if we're the only people who know how to to do things. Um, there's this book, what's it called? Um, how Europe Underdeveloped Africa um, mm. by Rodney something. Um, Watkins or something like that? Walters? Yeah, Sorry. something like that, yeah. Um, and it talks about how um, actually sometimes we just make we make things worse. <laughs> um, there's this illusion that white people, British people, European people coming into um, so-called developing countries over the past few centuries has led to progress. But clearly, we haven't progressed very far. <laughs> like, um, Why are those countries still in those places? It's because people don't actually want global equality. Mm. Um, Britain still wants to be at the top. America still wants to be at the top. They can they'll continue to run things, um, and mm. yeah, so it's it's some kind of radical change that's needed. But it's hard. It's yeah, it's hard to know what good looks like because it's hard to unsee those kind of pervasive structures that we have all um, grown up with. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't just come back to sort of some of the things, the, the themes that we were talking about earlier on um, with God not being a, a white man and this idea of, of men and why mm. why we need, why it's important to move it away from God being a man. Is that a question that, we, uh, is it important? Is one part of that question. But also what is the impact of moving the idea of God and maleness forward or away? Yeah, so I think... Yeah, I also think God is not a man um, in 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 the sense that we understand what a man is. Um, I think 
that actually the if we're talking about the Christian faith, the Bible has lots of different um, metaphors or words that are used to describe God um, in male forms and in female forms. Um, but obviously, because of the nature of um, the past few centuries of history, patriarchy and whiteness have kind of read back into the Bible. Um, maleness and whiteness as, as as being superior. So it's really, it's not surprising that God is presented as a white male because can you imagine if he was presented as any as anything else? Like it just, it, it just wouldn't work, especially for the Trump supporters. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, maleness is something that I think needs to be challenged in this concept of God, but also, but what I'm challenging there is this sense of patriarchy as well as white supremacy, um, mm. which is really important. So there's some really interesting thinkers kind of globally who are doing work on this, like um, Dr. Will Gaffney, um, who has really opened my eyes to the kind of the female um, uh, kind of descriptions of God within the Bible um, mm. and so much that we don't, we don't recognize as as being there but actually is there um so it's not just like a modern feminist reading it's actually literally from the beginning mm. of the bible so mm. um, do you think um because because with these types of things like these conversations where there's, there's always a thing that i think about is how do you separate the the message from the messenger or from the interpreter and there's this now when it comes to things like race i feel like it's, it's it's a lot easier to do but sometimes with gender it's a bit tricky because it feels like with a lot of the the kind of like um popular religions uh, organized religions today there is for instance let's just use christianity and, and islam and judaism like you have these these chains of prophets that are all that are all men and like a lot of you know revelation tends to happen to men and then it then goes on to they have disciples who also tend to be men so like some of it is like inherent within it and like is that something that i mean is is it kind of like something that is inherent that we need to like question about uh the 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 male centricism centricism Let's say let's let's go with that um, <laughs> as 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 something that we need to to challenge. Was there is there I don't know um, a role that has been played historically within you know the, these traditions and that, but we are just adding more to it in, in in a sense if that makes sense. Like how much how much can we separate the inherent from the mm. you know the projections mm. that you know men just due to how history has played that have tended to to do things yeah so I think it's really hard to do um and part of in the preface to my book I talk about how kind of theology can't be separated from um the human experience and the eyes that are reading the theology and understanding the world because that's the, the whole point theology or religious belief is not this kind of empirical thing that everyone can understand because we're all seeing it differently. So I think the medium through which religious belief is understood has to be 
also about the context and the time and what exactly it's saying now, which is different from what it was saying yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think where we have gone wrong is I think we've allowed over the centuries the patriarchal understanding of things that was obviously predominant in the world um, to um, highlight certain things in the Bible narrative in certain ways. Because if I was to actually read the Bible, obviously this isn't possible, but completely free of this kind of patriarchal understanding or um, this idea of whiteness, then actually you will find lots of things in the Bible that challenge this idea of maleness as superior Mm. because actually there are prophets in the Bible who were women. Um, There were followers of Jesus in the Bible who were women. When Jesus um, is raised from the dead, the Mm. first people that find out are women. And when you think about the context in which those words were being written, um, that was saying something um, really powerful and political about the status of women at that time. But for some reason, what, 2000 years later, we we think it, well, it was mainly men or, it, you know, Jesus follows followers of men. But actually, there's a lot that is not, <laughs> it's not about men in, mm-hmm. in the Bible. Um, but it's really hard to, un, it's hard to read those things free of any kind of con- contextual understanding yeah um i just want to touch on because i'm thinking you know one of the things you said earlier on was about why particularly younger people might be moving away from the church um with this continued depiction of god as male and god as as white and particularly for you know i know i know so many people who i grew up in a church with who just don't see it as for them anymore and what would be your direct kind of message to those kinds of people um given what you know from obviously extensive research to write this book yeah so i started writing this book or i got kind of commissioned to write this book last um march and obviously i've been thinking about the book and talking to publishers for um, a couple of years before that i'm really glad that i was actually writing the book in 2020, during a global pandemic, during Black Lives Matter, during all this kind of reawakening, because a book written two years ago would have been completely different to the one that I'd written. And that's partly because of the journey that, you know, even though I studied theology, even though I've thought about this stuff all my life, even the stuff that I have learned about Christianity or my own beliefs over the past 12 months in the process of writing this book have completely changed my understanding of God and my view of my place within that kind of story and that's because of black lives matter that's because there was suddenly um um, i was like devouring books by black theologians for example that made me rethink um and re-see this the understanding that i had of christianity so i think if there are young people who are questioning whether um the faith that they're in or the religious tradition that they're in is is for them I would say um, expand your reading lists, obviously, because <laughs> mine. So, so the thing that has probably most radically changed my 
me theologically is reading a book called um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone, who's a black theologian. Oh, yeah. And actually that book talks about, um, I guess, the Donald Trump supporters who are Christian would th- would understand Jesus to be this hero, like a, like a macho white man hero who overcame everything. Whereas James Cone... Um, talks about the um, the relationship between Jesus Christ as someone who was crucified on a cross, um, um, his body was violated, he was brutalised, um, with black men and women being lynched in um, in America, um, and that to me fundamentally reshifts how I therefore see my Christian faith, not as one that is about power, um, empire, um, white supremacy, but about um, the identification with those who have nothing, those who have been oppressed over centuries, um, those who are poor. And part of that is around the story of black oppression over the centuries, which to me now more resonates with my understanding of the Christian faith than mm. than anything else. Yeah, mm. powerful. It's just making me think about, about my grandma, really, and her relationship with faith and Christianity as a black woman on her own in Jamaica and reading through the Bible being the one thing that gives her some sense of release or the one thing that makes her feel this sense of freedom. And, you know, we could talk about liberation theology for, for hours and talk about how theology can be used in that way. You're actually really making me remember why I studied theology because I really feel like I forgot, you know. It's been, it's been several years and I'm like, I don't really know why I did that. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I know that we're coming sort of towards the end here, but Kwaku, is there any, any last kind of thoughts from you? Um, do you know, this for me, I think has been... Uh, and it's, it's always the case of some I'm, I'm with two theologians so like i'm kind of the student just 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 listening in um and taking a lot in but it's it, it's made me very like reflective of um yeah just my own relationship with with with, with religion and, and and how it relates to identity and um how everything just really just merges into one big like like you can't you can't divorce white supremacy from capitalism and you can't divorce that from its impact in you know in religion and and every kind of like big sphere of your life like your existence is like it just highlights how it's all touched and it's all like interconnected um and and yeah i think when you talk about from all these different angles it's like really brings that brings that home so i'm looking forward to like um reading the book when it comes out in, in, in its entirety and like really taking it in and, and reflecting from yeah, from my, my perspective on like on, on my journey with religion and like different faiths and stuff I've looked in and, and how that all interplays. Um yeah, I'm looking forward to, to doing that. Um I wanted to actually because I, I was I was reading your introduction um before we started and um you you talked well you have a chapter on um love not being blind or i forgot the exact love is not color blind yeah. yeah and and you talk about interracial um inter- interracial relationships 
and um yeah it'll be interesting just to hear from your your experience like um you know how how you know why you thought it was important to include that chapter for one in in the book but like um how it relates to the, the broader topics we've discussed today yeah so as someone who like speaks about racial justice and this whole topic um, I get quite self-conscious about the fact that I'm married to a white man because I think, you know, I've called my, my I've called my book God is not a white man as if I like as if white men are bad, but I'm married to one. So this there's, there's this kind of real like self-consciousness. And I know that there are um, black women in public eye, let's say Serena Williams mm. um, or others who have married white men who come under quite a lot of criticism for kind of shacking up with the oppressor um and i wanted to um to talk about that because in some ways it's such a taboo because in some ways you're sometimes when you see a black woman with a white man you you might talk, think about um sexual violence against black women during slavery by, by white slave owners mm-hmm. um and i think there's something particular about black women with white men that's different to black men with white women which is which is which you see um more in the norm but there's all sorts of kind of inter all sorts of complicated relationships at play um one being like the hierarchy of things so if you've got god at the top then it's white men next then it's white women then it's black women black men um and then it's malcolm x would say you know the black woman is the most disrespected and so in some ways, black women are just kind of not even part of the stories that we hear about um, race. You understand, like, the ideas of um, even in the UK in 1919, there were all these riots in Liverpool um, and race riots where white men were upset because their women were, were having relationships with black men. All that kind of complicated stuff. Um, so I wanted to just talk about that, really. Um, and the the role that white men who are with black women have in the racial justice fight, but also my understanding, I have a bit more understanding of um, how how a white man can move through the world because I'm, mar- I'm married to one. So mm-hmm. I'll talk about how um, a couple of years ago we went to Nigeria for my grandmother's funeral. And I took my, we took my son who was two at the time and my husband, it was the first time he'd been to Africa we did this kind of dedication um, at a church and in a rural village, um, a kind of Thanksgiving service for the birth of our son. And um, there was, you know, a few hundred people in the church. Obviously, my husband is the only white man. And we kind of danced up the aisle with like 50 relatives, goats, yams, chickens, cash. And we got to the front and the ministers of the church were like, this is a great day because... Um, we are dedicating this child and this child is half Oyubo, which is white. Mm-hmm. And there's a white man here. And everyone was like, gave this round of applause. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, so that's what it's like. That is what it's like to be a white man where you're literally seen as having the power um, in the middle of this rural vi- village in Nigeria. So I talk about that kind of the contrast um, and yeah, my kind of self-consciousness about that. <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's interesting like whenever 
like uh, just just casual conversations I have with with my wife and just like when there's a group of, of of friends together and stuff and topics around like racial dynamics and whatever you come up um I hear a lot of black women say um yeah like one reason why I wouldn't want to marry a a white man is because they just don't get it or a reason why I prefer to marry someone of the same race whether it's because they just understand it there's no explanations needed um my wife has said like she would have felt like there's is extra work required to explain like I don't have the energy to explain why this was racist or like do you feel like there is an element of like an educational process that is required to to marry a, <laughs> a, a, a black woman um a woman of any other race and like do you feel like you 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 saw that as a conscious burden you had to take on to like okay these are some things you're not gonna understand i'm gonna have to teach you and what's how's managing that been like oh yeah it's like um (laughs) i obviously think about this quite a lot i um when we were dating i would like constantly quiz him on what if we have a child and then then he says that you he wishes he wasn't black what are you gonna say or what mm. you know how are you gonna <laughs> look after his hair or you know all that kind of stuff um because because I thought you know he like my husband Mark had n- never really thought about race like most of his life he mm. didn't why would he have to think about it whereas I obviously thought about it constantly um and also that I guess that it's not just about black and white either because it's about the different cultures within that black and that white so Mm -hmm. I'm not just black I'm from Nigeria I'm not just Nigerian I'm Igbo so there are particular cultural expectations Mm -hmm. about how we um do things how we do our wedding how how we speak to my parents all those kinds of things and he's not just white he's from East Yorkshire (laughs) like he's from a place um where there are no black people um so it's those very like very different cultures that come together but that could have been the same if I'd have married an Igbo man where there would have been different, there might've been different cultural um, explanations that needed to be done. If I had married someone who Mm. grew up in Nigeria, (laughs) it was kind of a a different, yeah, I think there are different things, whatever relationship you're in. Um, Yeah. It's tricky, but it's still fine. It's just a normal relationship. Most of the time we just, talk about like what we're having for dinner or <laughs> doing the washing up <laughs> yeah i think often people think in um like an interracial relationship that you must constantly be talking about race when that's not really you know that's not what you do um i'm just really conscious of time i want to just begin to wrap up and just say firstly thank you so much for coming on and it's been so informative hearing all your thoughts about all of this and before we say goodbye Firstly, when is the book coming out again? 27th of May, but it's available for pre-order. Amazing, well. amazing. And if people want to find you, Chine, where can, can they find you? T- um, on Twitter, at Chinny McDonald, C-H-I-N-E, Mc, M-C, Donald, um, and ChinnyMcDonald.com as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. And with that, then I'm just going to say, as ever, you can get in touch with us on the socials at OTB Podcast UK on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send us an email at OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com. This 
episode tell us what you think we love hearing from people as ever um get in touch with us on twitter start a thread why not let's talk about this in a bit more depth and see what you think um god is not a white man thank you so much once again and from myself and also from you Kweku. i'm just going to speak on your behalf today thank um, you. <laughs> over and out have a good rest of your day week month wherever you might be whenever you're listening take care